This makes me so happy right now. Oh my god. Oh, this is terrific. What is up, everybody? Oh, my God. Oh, man. I got to turn it off now. So, I – oh, by the way, this is Joshua T. Berglund. This is PSTV's Gratitude Unfiltered. I'm laughing hysterically about the video I just showed you because it shows Sunset Jesus. Or is it Santa Monica Jesus? I forgot who it is. But he is this famous guy that he was homeless and he dressed up like Jesus. I really think he thought he was Jesus. Um, and he used to peruse around Sunset Boulevard. And you could see him all the time. I swear I've seen him on Santa Monica too. But today at lunch, um, I was with Amanda Corville and we started talking about him randomly out of the blue. And as I was searching for music today, there was a music video. And, he, and, and, and we talked about how he's just in random movies and random uh, uh, music videos. And sure enough, today, there he is, like three hours later. Oh my gosh. Anyway, what's up everybody? Uh, so good to see you. Podcast, radio audience, you can check us out at facebook.com slash gratitude unfiltered or the Joshua T. Berglund.com. And by the way, the reason why it says the Joshua T. Berglund.com is because someone has Joshua T. Berglund.com and it's not me and I can't find out who it is. So that's why the website's the Joshua T. Berglund.com. Um, I'm excited about today. And I really am because I've been trying to get this guy on the show and for whatever reason, it's probably my fault, but we've just had a hard time scheduling. Hi, Veronica. How are you? And again, if you're a radio audience, podcast audience, and even uh, streaming TV audience, PSTV audience, if you're wondering who the heck I'm talking to, it is because I carry on a conversation with all these amazing folks at face on Facebook at facebook.com slash gratitude unfiltered. And we do this because this show started on a telephone. And by the grace of God and by amazing people who have supported the show, it has grown and grown and grown and grown. And now, slowly but surely, dreams are coming true. And I, it would not be possible uh, without all the support of you that are watching right now and the people that started watching when it was morning gratitude and it was just a handheld phone. I always will say thank you for that because it's a childhood dream. And as things start to develop, here in LA for me, um, I just can't think anything more than gratitude. And, um, and having the opportunity to take, having the opportunity to take all of the stuff that happened and all of the things that I did to self-inflict pain, to know that I get to use that now in a very unfiltered kind of way. The fact that I get to do that and use it for good um, is humbling. It's very humbling. And that is why I posted yesterday that if I ever quit, quit giving God the glory, you can kick me in the nuts because if it wasn't for him, I, um, I'd still be in jail and um, not pursuing my dreams. So I humbly say thank you 
it's not it's not a bullshit thank you it's a real genuine thank you because i get to act like a little kid almost every single night interviewing really amazing people and learning from them and growing from them like it's not just me getting to like spit my whatever's on my heart on the show more importantly it's it's getting to learn from amazing guests and god like they have so many stories and it just reminds me like don't quit like just because like things look really ugly right now don't quit and and just keep going and like and if your heart's pulling if you feel led if you feel drawn who cares if you fail go anyway because god's going to put you right where you're supposed to be and speaking of amazing guests like i've gotten to know this guy a little bit over the it's been a couple of years now and i uh, had the pr privilege of introducing uh, giving him an award on stage for just his his humanitarian work and just being an amazing entrepreneur um i think that's when we first met and then i've seen him a couple of times since and just watched his journey of serving first not just not making it up like genuine service genuine giving a crap about other people genuine uh, wanting to make a difference in the world and to the point that I've seen him almost get fighting mad about like it, it. like he cares about it and uh, so it me it's a it's a real pleasure and a real honor for me to introduce DeAndre Lampkin to the show what's up man how's it going I'm good man I'm I'm uh, I'm good I'm really good I'm a little emotional today but it's a good emotion and I just get to be in gratitude for everything that's going on. So yeah, but I'm so happy you're here, bro. It's good to see you. Yeah, it comes from a good place. So that's okay. And it's, it's also always good to see you as well. So where are you at right now? Are you at your office? I am in my office. It looks very professional. Yeah, here in my office and uh, yeah. <laughs> I finished up the work day about an hour ago. So the timing on the interview was, uh, it was perfect. It was perfect. It's good, man. Well, it's always good to see you, and I'm glad you're here. Uh, first things first, my man, what are you grateful for today? Um, I am grateful just for, for being here. I'm grateful for it being Thursday. I'm grateful for having the power to be able to get through the day. Um, I'm always, always, no matter what day it is, I'm grateful for the people who have, uh, who have, you know, who are in my company, people who are in my nonprofit people who are at my regular job, uh, my full-time job, uh, solely because I know that when I'm done with the day, they're gonna carry on and they're gonna go out and do the things that they need me to do to make sure that when I come back, there's no fires. <laughs> so I'm definitely grateful for everybody uh, that I work with. I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for everybody I've had contact with who's uh, shared a word of encouragement with me to get me through the day for sure. So one thing I didn't know about you, and you probably told me, but I really didn't remember this about you, but you, you, you're, you're a police officer. Yeah. And I, I never knew that at this whole time. I know you as a, an entrepreneur. I know you as a humanitarian and you're, you're a freaking cop. <laughs> my mind. Like I never in my wildest dreams pictured this with you. So I want to know about a time, you know, as a police officer, that was just a really, just a screwed up situation, man. Like, you know, as a cop and you're going, oh my gosh, I cannot believe I'm in this situation. I can't believe I'm seeing this right now, whatever that is. But a time that you're able to look at that kind of, it shook your foundation a little bit. 
but that you can look at today and go, you know what, that really made a difference in my life. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've had a couple of those. I worked in law enforcement for uh, about 13 years now. And uh, initially, I started off as a reserve deputy, uh, de reserve deputy sheriff. And then a few years later, I went on uh, to go full time. And uh, the majority of my professional uh, time has been spent as a law enforcement officer. And uh, whether it be as a reserve or a full time deputy sheriff, I got to tell you, there's been that's happened several times. I've had several occasions. Uh, where you, you kind of go, this situation is very screwed up and it really shakes your foundation to its core. Uh, I think what's uh, most important to recognize is that law enforcement officers go out there every day and they see the worst in people. Uh, every, you know, every call is not you know, a, a pleasant one. Uh, deputies, sheriffs, and police officers expect, expected to go out and make decisions for people who can't seem to make decisions on their own. And so uh, it's, to, to identify one particular story, it's very difficult. Um, there, there's been many days I've gone out there and seen some things that have really just really shaken me. Uh, my latest assignment had, um, has been working with uh, 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 people in the community who are facing mental health crisis. And uh, I go there with uh, the understanding that we're trying to have optimal outcomes uh, that are beneficial to both the community and also beneficial to the family, beneficial for the person who needs the help. And uh, I believe all my peers are out there for the same reason. Um, and a lot of times we, we do, we see the worst in people. And uh, I, I have to tell you, it's, it's, it's hard sometimes, but you know, as long as you stick to the mission and you recognize what you're out there for and what the intended purpose is, and you go there with a common goal and that is to go out there and help people, uh, you can get through it. Is, does the job become mundane to the point where you get into autopilot, where the experiences that you're seeing as an officer, you're just become desensitized to, or you really, because I mean, the way you made that sound was that you're taking away something from each moment where you're learning from it. Is that, is that, is that, do you think that's true for all officers or does it ever just become mundane and routine, even as shocking as most of it may be? I, I can't speak for all officers, but I will tell you that there's absolutely nothing, um, nothing mundane about working in law enforcement. You have to approach every situation like it's a new one. You really do. Uh, it, wow. Just when you think you you have uh, the perfect prescription to resolve a problem, there's always some external factor that comes in and, and you realize, you know, this is going to be a little different. Uh, because you're dealing with human beings. You're dealing with people yeah. with different backgrounds. You're dealing with people in the backgrounds, very ethnic backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, upbringings. Uh, it's, it's different for everybody and every, every situation you have to approach it that way. I want, I want to ask you something that may be really personal. Is it okay? I, I, I guess. <laughs> Depends well, on what okay. <laughs> so the, the African American community and the, really even the Hispanic community, well, really the minority community and police officers do not exactly have the best relationship. One of those demographics, of course, is the African-American community, and you are indeed an African-American. What kind of backlash do you, did you get or did you experience as an officer from your own community? Oh, I've I'm, I'm, uh, been oftentimes called a traitor. <laughs> I actually, I've, I've had the opportunity to work in the community where I grew up, and uh, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, what, I, what I learned from that experience is that 
Uh, everybody, no matter what community you're in, for the most part, people want the same thing. They want to feel safe in their homes. They sure. they want to uh, you know be able to walk outside their door without having any fear of being shot or gunned down or stabbed or harassed. Uh, uh, there are some people that within certain communities. I, I grew up in South Los Angeles. Um, I there's people within certain communities or within the community where I grew up that feel like I'm a traitor because I went into law enforcement and the area where I grew up was it, it wasn't the best growing up. Um, but you know what though? At the end of the day, I, I'm I'm not there to serve those people. Um, the the people who who uh, see law enforcement as just an automatic negative uh, presence. I'm there to serve the people who who uh, are the stakeholders and and the people who own uh, or live in areas where they want to feel safe. They just want to feel safe. They generally all want the same thing. Um, unfortunately, you have people who come into communities with with uh, with bad intentions, and sure. law enforcement tries their best to deal with those. And yes, law enforcement does face backlash, and and there is a perception uh, issue uh, between the community and law enforcement. But I think by and by and large, the majority of um, uh, uh, members in the community, they they do they like their law enforcement. They want their law enforcement around. They trust their law enforcement. It's just a matter of who gets the the coverage and on, on which day. And uh, you know, as the saying goes, "Squeakiest wheel gets the grease." But I think there's a 99% of people out there who uh, aren't in the news, who aren't trying to get on TV, who aren't uh, getting on the radio stations, who generally uh, enjoy the presence of law enforcement in the community. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just figured that would, I, I, for some reason, I've always wanted to ask that question because I mean, that's gotta be tough. Like every time I see a black police officer and I'm in a, a crowd that is very, very mixed, I'm going like, I just can feel some type of insecurity coming out of them. And I don't know what it is. I just, that was this feeling I got. So I was like, okay, I need to ask this question someday. And so that's why I asked. So I appreciate you answering that. So honestly, hard. It's hard. It's very hard. Um, I, I remember the first time I ever went back into the community where I grew up and was and was there as a as a peace officer. It was almost like I wanted to, to <laughs> go to all of, all of my friends' house and hey, they say, hey, look at me. I, you know, I, I made it, and, and I'm, I'm I'm here to serve the community. Uh, obviously, everybody didn't welcome me with uh, welcome me with open arms, um, but uh, it was nice to see the the elders that I grew up with. Uh, very happy about uh, me becoming a law enforcement officer, uh, but for the most part, like I said, most most people in the community they they genuinely want law enforcement in their in their community. They they really do, I, and I'm a firm believer in that. And they want to cooperate with law enforcement. They want uh, they also want law enforcement to work with them, and and also to recognize that they too are stakeholders in their community. Yeah, that's man, I like that. So when did the transition from you know, being a police officer to being an entrepreneur happen? I feel like I've always somewhat been an entrepreneur. I uh, I remember growing up in, in school, my mom would give me and my brother $5 a week or $10 a week for lunch money. And whatever we had for lunch money, that's what we have for the week. And and, and I remember when I was in school, we would, we would take uh, – the now laters, the now later packs, back when they had the, the three packs in one, uh, me and my brother would actually take those packs and they would cost 50 cents. And we would take each individual pack and sell them for a quarter a piece and we'll make 75 cents off of one pack. And then we'd go back for a second one and we'd multiply it there and multiply it there. And by the end of the week, 
we'd go to our mom and would say, hey, can we go to the store and get a video game or go get a, 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 a tape or a CD or whatever? And she'd say, I don't have the money. And we'd say, yeah, but we do. And uh, we, we'd have, <laughs> where'd you get this money from? So that was, that was probably my earliest experience as an entrepreneur. Um, I don't know. I, that, yeah, that was my earliest experience as an entrepreneur. That's amazing. So tell us, tell everybody a little bit about what you're doing right now as an entrepreneur that you can talk about, like you're willing to share. Because I know you have some stuff that, you know, yeah. maybe behind the scenes you're working on. Yeah, absolutely. So three years ago, I started uh, care staffing professionals. I told you that uh, part of my background in law enforcement is working with the mental health community. And yeah. a lot of that involves uh, transporting people who are having a mental health crisis to uh, local area hospitals that help to address some of those issues. And so I came up with this idea, I'd probably say about four years ago to start a company called Care Staffing Professionals. And it focuses on uh, basically staffing acute care facilities and hospitals and skilled nursing facilities with nurses. I came up with that idea because when I was working in as a mental health evaluator, I, I found that there was always a shortage of nurses. And, I, and that was my first real experience identifying the fact that the state of California has a shortage of nurses. And uh, they're a vital resource in our state, uh, uh, definitely something that's needed. And so I started care staffing professionals three years ago. I think we'll be concluding our third year this coming March. And uh, it's, been, it's been a wild ride. I have to tell you, 2018 was very giving to our company. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a very prayerful, prayerful person. So I always say by the grace of God that this happened. And also because of the hard work of the team that I developed uh, within this company. Last year, we uh, had actually, uh, they always say the third year is when you're supposed to see your company progressing and starting to see a turnaround on profit. And we definitely saw that increase by about three or 400%. And what uh, we also did was we uh, were identified as a, uh, uh, by Joint Commission, as a quality healthcare staffing solutions company so much so that we received Joint Commission's uh, uh, accreditation. So now we're nationally accredited. We provided 39 additional jobs last year. We currently have 218 nurses, and wow. we have, we've increased our uh, ability to staff more facilities throughout the Inland Empire region. And we also just recently were awarded the contract for San Bernardino County to provide the nurse staffing services there. And a lot of people will ask, well, how do you how do you do all that? And you work in law enforcement, you have your own company, and you're also operating a nonprofit. Is because you, I developed. I don't personally do it. I, I look for talented people, but together as a group, we help each other develop a really strong team. I love that. I, your foundation is what I'm really fascinated with, and I would love for you to tell people um, about it and like why why you started it and so on. Absolutely. So if you you probably noticed that there's a, a common theme with every professional endeavor I engage in, and it's one of service. And I enjoy serving the people. I enjoy serving the public. I, I'm a firm believer that we're here on this earth to serve each other. And so in 2017, I founded the DeAndre B. Lampkin Foundation. And uh, the reason why I founded it was because I had already been working on a project called the Breathgiving Fortress Project since 2011, which focuses on bringing awareness to childhood respiratory diseases. And we were working in conjunction with Children's Hospital Los Angeles. And a few people who have worked with us on that project over the last uh, almost six years, they all 
we're, we were trying to find ways to, to get more funding for it. And one of the things that was told to me was uh, if you want to get input from people and you want to get donations, you need to become a, an official 501c3 tax exempt organization if you want to gain that kind of support. And right. so uh, when I started the foundation, I started in my name because I uh, wanted to do the things that or create projects that I believe in that are important to me. Growing up in South Los Angeles, I saw the shortcomings. I saw that there are issues like food scarcity. There are issues with people being able to recover from tragedy. Uh, there are also issues with uh, individuals feeling like they are undeserving or unable to achieve higher education. And then of course we have the Breathtaking Fortress Project. With all four of those areas, we decided to, as a committee, because I formed a board shortly after starting the organization, we decided to take those four things and, and, and make those our focus groups. So uh, one of the things, our, our overarching motto is building stronger, more resilient communities together. It's not just about building stronger communities or more resilient communities as an organization. It's about doing it as a community. It's about identifying uh, some of the resources in a community and helping people recognize that we're all stakeholders, that everybody right. has a role to play that people shouldn't be so reliant on government services. And just because the government doesn't do something doesn't mean that your community is incapable of doing it. If you want a Trader Joe's in your community or a Sprouts or a Whole Foods and they refuse to come into the community, then let it, let that, let that organi those organizations, those are only examples, by the way, I don't want anybody going and starting to hate, you know, those three organizations, but they have a choice. They're corporations and they look at a, uh, an analysis and they say, hey, this is not gonna work for us because of the economy. So one of the things that we talk about is starting a community garden. If you want fresh organic produce in your community, there's a lot of communities out there that are underserved that have a lot of open land and that's owned by the city, owned by the county. How about approaching some of the, the owners of that land and asking to start a community farm? Get people engaged, get people involved. Uh, it creates jobs for people. Uh, it creates if you want to have a master gardener. We also have our uh, scholarship fund. We've been doing it for the last three years. We issue three scholarships throughout the year to high school and uh, uh, high school seniors and juniors who want to pursue higher education. As long as they can illustrate or demonstrate to us uh, how they intend to use their degree to uh, promote social good within their community. And then we also have, we talked about the Breathgiving Fortress Project and we also have our disaster relief fund. So communities that are facing a natural disaster, we're able to go in and utilize some of the funds that we have in order to not only help them on a temporary basis, but also put things in place and fund different projects that will make them more resilient and better prepared for the next one. So what year are you running for mayor? <laughs> I don't, I don't have any political ambitions. I really don't. I, I, you know, one seriously? of the things that, I'm seriously, I'm serious. I seriously have no political ambitions. I know one of the things that uh, is difficult about public service, you have to kind of separate your, uh, you have to, you have to, you have to when, you're working, when you're working on behalf of an organization, you're very limited sometimes in what you can do. And Donald Trump's doing it. Yeah, but he ran for president, but he no longer runs his company as long as he's president. Oh, bull crap. You, do, you think he has nothing to do with this company? Who, who knows? Who knows? I don't yeah. know. Not there, so you know, so you what know. are you running for mayor? Uh, I, I have no ambitions to run for any political office. I bet that changes. <laughs> I vote for you. I appreciate the endorsement, and everybody here here viewing, if they feel the same way, then write me on the ballot. But I, I won't be running. <laughs> I see this in your future, my friend. So, 
what would you say the biggest challenge that you've been you you deal with in balancing because so everyone wants to talk about serving everyone wants you know we, we we serve we have our jobs we have our families like what would you, you are doing a lot like to me you're hitting all of the the corners that really really matter of of living a, a life of of service and really making a difference and then also being successful in business and so on like you are doing it all in, in in some respect what would you say the biggest challenge that you have in being really excelling in all those different areas that you're involved in uh, the biggest challenge I would say is recognizing that you're dealing with different people. And sometimes you have, uh, you, you're working with individuals who have competing uh, ideas and uh, they may not be in direct alignment with what you want to do. One of the things that I always tell my staff, because obviously there's going to be conflict from time to time. Uh, and I also tell this to my peers at work, at, at, you know, in law enforcement, I share this with individuals who want to be a part of our nonprofit and who want to volunteer with us is that you have to do, you just have to remember the spirit in which you're doing it. Uh, I think that's the best way that you can uh, really get people to understand what your intent is. Um, that's the best way to gain cooperation from individuals. Uh, I, 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 I would say recognizing that you're going to be dealing with a wide variety of people. As long as you can let them know what the spirit of what you're doing is, I think that's the most important thing because once people understand the mission and 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 strive for optimal outcomes, then pe if people go forward in that way, then you're gonna ultimately achieve great things as, as an organization, as a team, and uh, and and accomplish things that you definitely that you want to accomplish as an as an individual. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? The best piece of advice I've ever been given. Wow, I mean, because I've been given a lot of advice, and uh, the one that you apply to your life every day. Like for me, to give you an example, maybe it's not even advice, but maybe it was a quote or a saying. But when I heard T.D. Jake say the blessing is in the breaking, it was okay. Now this makes sense, and you know, it still took years, but like that 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 is grilled to the front of my head every time something bad bad happens i know there's a blessing there or every time there's a giant obstacle in front of me i know that i get to conquer it and then because that's a, that's there for me to conquer and um so like that stuck in my head so that's an example yeah um I, like i said there's a there's a bunch of them i know one of the things that uh i always remember when when things tend to go not the way you intended uh, I'm a firm believer that sometimes the Lord has a way of putting you in a in a position, not where you think you should be, but where you need to be. And there are a lot of people who go through a lot of things. And anytime I hear from peers, from family, from friends that they're going through a hardship, I always have I always tend to remind them that perhaps uh, that hardship is preparing you for the next the next journey or making you stronger and giving you the armor you need to get through the next challenge. And the reason why I say that is because I myself have been through uh, quite a bit. Um, a lot of it, I, I feel like I never deserve. And a lot of it, I feel like, you know what, this is a test. And it's and it's a test to see if what I intend to do with my life and what I want to do with my life is something that I'm actually prepared for. Uh, I, I got to tell you that it, had I not gone through the many challenges I've been through in, in the you know, very short amount of time that I've been living, 
Uh, I don't know if I'd be prepared to take on to take on a company. Uh, I don't know if I'd be prepared to take on a, a nonprofit. I don't know if I'd even have the courage to uh, put myself out there at times when a lot of people say, "Hey, maybe you should just shut up and stay quiet about it." Uh, about, you know what you want to do and what your what your goals are. But I uh, I, I guess if I had to uh, pick out a piece of advice, that would be it. Uh, there's another one that sticks to the forefront uh, of my head that I share with others is that it's one thing to have an idea and to start something, but it's a whole nother thing to be able to inspire a shared vision and to get other people to follow along with you and to believe in uh, the mission and believe in the things that you're trying to do. I know a lot of people, we come, we both come from LA. We're, we're, I don't know, I don't know if you, if you're born in Oklahoma. I'm in Oklahoma, yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm LA all the way now. And you know what, Joshua, we, we attended a lot of events in LA. And yeah. you know how many times we've gone places and people say, I do this and I do that. And you ask them the question, well, how many people work with you? And they're mm -hmm. unable to answer the question. It's a very easy question. How many people are helping you? And a lot of them say, oh, I do it on my own. And in reality, you know that they don't do it on their own. On their own. And if they are doing it on their own, they're probably not good at it. And it's yeah. probably not taken off the way they want it to because they haven't opened the doors to allow people to help them. But it's not even yeah. just that is they haven't been able to inspire others to believe in what they're doing and actually want to jump in and help them. So it's one thing to be able to start something and have an idea, but it's a whole nother thing to be able to inspire a shared vision and get people to jump on board, whatever it is that you're doing. Uh, that is, man, I, I mean, that for me, that is just rings true. Cause I remember I, I, trying to thinking I could do it alone, being so narcissistic to believe that it was all me and blah, blah, blah. And like, but it's amazing. Even if you feel like you're supposed to take the lead, enrolling people into your vision is essential to your success. What's up, Jessica? How are you? Um, it's essential to your success because you don't do it alone. Even if it's somebody just to be able to talk to you to say, maybe you should rethink doing that. <laughs> like having that, have someone that you devil on our shoulder and the angel on our shoulder. We all, we all wish that. I, I wish I had somebody whispering in my ear every time I wanted to make a decision to tell me whether or not it's a good one or a bad one. But that's what our nonprofit is about as well. It's, it's again, it's building stronger, more resilient communities together. Uh, it takes an army of people to be able to steer a community in the right direction. Uh, I happen to also serve on the board of directors for the community where I reside. And I always tell residents, they you know, there are some who complain about why isn't the board doing this? Why isn't the board doing that? And the board is an all volunteer board. And I always address them from this standpoint. Where were you when we needed you to volunteer for this? Where were you when we needed you to volunteer for that? We need yeah. your input. We need your insight. We need your active participation in order to make things happen. And so that's another side of it too, inspiring a shared vision, but also letting people know that I need help and we need your help. What one of the things that I bonded with you on, I mean, we've become friends, you know, every time we see each other, we can just sit and talk for hours. I mean, it's I, I can't everything every time I've seen you, whether it was feeding the homeless or at an event like we just talk for hours. I'm the homeless here and everywhere are something that is just 
for some reason, that's it for me. Like the, especially with the mental illness problem that's involved with the homeless community, like it breaks my heart, but yet it inspires me at the same time. Um, I saw the same thing in you when we were, you know, when we, when we went, uh, with the uh, divine H2O and we were feeding and we're kind of organizing the troops and helping make sure that everything went smoothly and just visiting and talking with the people that were living on the streets. Like I saw that that was something that you were truly inspired by. Yeah. I want to do something about it. Like it, if people have never seen skid row in really any big city, the homeless population, but in LA, San Diego is pretty bad. San Francisco is terrible, but LA skid row is a, another planet and um what do you think can be done i mean i know it's a random question what i didn't prepare you for but like what do you think realistically could be done um to help with that problem well it's it's gonna take um i, I believe it's gonna really take some new thinking uh i like i said i grew up in south los angeles my mom would take me to downtown when i was younger just so she can look at her fabric from the fabric shops. And I remember uh, periodically going through Skid Row and seeing the people out there. And I've seen a lot more of it, especially after working with the mental health community. And what I found is I, what it's gonna take is gonna, it's gonna take some new partnerships. It really is gonna take agencies, uh, government agencies working together, talking to each other. One of the things that I always say, hey, you know what? Why is that law enforcement is the only agency or the only profession that patrols. Uh, it's going to take a collaboration between law enforcement, the Department of Mental Health, uh, the Department of Health and Human Services to partner together. And uh, I've sat in meetings where we're collaborating and we've been able to resolve some of the biggest challenges in some of the cities that are in Los Angeles County, for example. Uh, one of the things that I've written about, and I've actually published this in the International Journal of Mental Health and Human Resilience a couple of years ago, is discharge planning and what that what that uh, paper talks about is uh individuals who are getting out of jail or getting out of prison and they're being released to the streets with only one or two days of medication uh if, oh, they're, if they need that medication to address their mental health issue and yeah it's not law enforcement's responsibility to provide that medication but through the clinical services available through the jails and the prisons they do the best that they can and uh, one of the things that those jails and those prison uh, uh, release areas don't recognize is that the, the time to schedule an appointment, even if they did it right on the day of that they were released, it takes two weeks. If they even have a, a file with whatever the local Department of Mental Health uh, agency is. And I'm not speaking for every one of them. I can only speak from my own personal experience dealing with LA County. And so if the person only has one or two days of medication and they make a phone call, let's say they're, they're in the right frame of mind to make their appointment as soon as they get out of jail or while they're in the, the jail lobby, they're told, hey, come and see us in two weeks, your appointment is in two weeks. But they only have a few days worth, you know, few days worth of medication. By the time they get to their appointment, if they even make it, they've already been off their medication for five, six, seven, sometimes 12 days. So then you have to gamble whether or not they're going to make it to the appointment in the first place. And let's just say that they don't make it and they're already having some issues. There are many people in the mental health community who compensate with narcotics, not because they want to, but they're doing the best they can to adjust and to feel uh, like they're in the right frame of mind. 
And ultimately, some of them end up getting caught possessing narcotics. Some of them end up getting caught being under the influence of narcotics. Law enforcement's role is very limited. There's only so much they can do. And officers, you know, they receive training. But how do you differentiate between somebody who's experiencing a mental health crisis um, versus they're under the influence of narcotics? It's a very difficult thing to do. And what if, let's just say, you have a mental health issue, but they compensate it with narcotics. They're still going to show the same symptoms as somebody who's under the influence of narcotics. Law enforcement's role is very limited, and they don't know the story. They don't know if this person had just gotten out two days ago and they went, they resorted to narcotics as a way to compensate. So that's just one thing. That's just, and I know that's a long story, a long kind of narrative to go through, but uh, that's just one example. One of the things that I wrote about uh, that needs to be some uh, some some broader thinking when it comes to correctional discharge and perhaps putting mental health officials within the jails and maybe prioritizing some of those individuals. Going back to the homeless population, what about those individuals who have been in jail or have been in prison and they have nowhere to go when they leave? They go straight back to Skid Row, where obviously there is an influence there to uh, utilize drugs. Uh, you might be in the right frame of mind for a few days, but then you become very incorrigible only after a few you know, short days. Doesn't matter what your, you know, how much willpower you have to straighten your life out. The reality is, you don't have the foundation you need in order to make sure your success the minute you're discharged. Yeah, it it, it just seems that, and I'm I'm not trying to make things political because I'm like the least political person. I don't like any of them, but like this whole border wall thing, and I'm I'm. It seems so pointless, and it's billions of dollars, and like what we could do with that billions of dollars to fix issues like this because it's not just in LA that this happens it's right. you know we have inner city kids that I, I mean I had the, 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 the blessing to, to MC the power of weed symposium in Chicago and it was a, to benefit inner city kids and hearing the stories of those kids about like what they had to do every single day just to get to school I promise you I would tap out 15 minutes into it and go screw school <laughs> I'll watch YouTube videos. It's not fair. It's not fair for kids that grow up in America that it's public school for them to have to bus in two and a half, three hours, do homework at 3 a.m. Like they're un they're not fed properly. The food in school is garbage. They 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 are bus like who why? That's five hours on a bus to get to school and then be in school for nine hours. Come on. We could spend money on other things. Oh, how about this? Let's quit bombing countries let's let's bomb one less country and use this to take care of and fix some things that could be fixed easily it drives me up the wall like i'm not a hippie i mean i do support cannabis 100 percent, but i'm not a freaking hippie and i'm not a bleeding heart liberal either i'm also not a freaking right-wing maniac like i have some sense it's like human common sense and a love for human beings and seeing people in Skid Row. You can sit there and talk to some of the people in Skid Row with more intelligent conversations than you can have with half the people on Facebook. That's just the truth. There's normal freaking people that if they were given the opportunity, hell, put them in a network marketing thing. Give them a chance. Whatever. Something. Let's just quit. Wait, we just throw money. This country throws so much money away on nonsense. Or what about the food waste? Like you can feed half a skid row. It's unbelievable to me. Like it's just I, I'm such I'm so it kills me to see it. 
It kills me, especially knowing that there's little kids there that all they're going to know, and someone makes a change, all those little kids are going to know is poverty. And you know that when people experience poverty, how hard it is to break that cycle. Cycles are hard to break. Cycles are uncomfortable. And it takes a, a, a courage. I mean, what the hell do I know? I'm a white man in America. But guess what? You know, I still get on my own cycles. The cycle of addiction, the cycle of bad relationships, the cycle of this, the cycle of that. You know, but it, it, it makes me sick. And I know something can be done about it. That's why someone like you needs to run for office because you genuinely freaking care. And you have the smarts of putting people together to make it happen. Well, you know, that, that's that's why I'm very proud of the organization, uh, the, the, the foundation, really proud of it. We have people within our organization with diverse backgrounds, and, and many of them are public servants. Um, we're, we're supported by a wide variety of public servants as well. Our donor base is, uh, it consists of a wide variety of public servants. Uh, but most importantly, we're supported, we are funded by, uh, individuals who don't necessarily work in public service but they want to get involved they want to be engaged and that's what the organization is really about it's about getting people less you know people don't have to be mad to participate there are people who have ideas but it's about bringing people to the table and having these kind of discussions not from a a, a place of uh, anger but from a place of reconciliation and recognizing each other's narrative and once you are able to recognize each other's narrative, you're able to sit at the same table and go, you know what? This is ultimately what we all want. This is the outcome we want. This is the solution we want. And I have this idea, the other person might have another idea. And just to kind of bring that together and just draw, draw up a plan. And like I said, it's not from a place of anger. It's, it's coming from a place of reconciliation and recognizing that, you know what? Everybody's reality is their reality. Now, how are we gonna address it together as a, as a community? I know government. If we did what? Well, you know how they there. You know, you could privatize the military. I wonder uh -huh. if you could privatize the government. <laughs> I have no idea how to how that, that would work. I, I don't know. know. I'd love to know. I'm not trying to start an anarchy either. By the way, I want peace. I want I want peace and everyone to be taken care of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a that's oh, a that's man. idea. Yeah, we should try that. Um, listen, man, I'm a, I'm a, do you have any plugs that you want to shout out real quick and uh, before we end the show? Yeah, sure. So first one is for care staffing professionals, there's a, a nursing shortage in the state of California. So you guys know of any nurses that are looking for work, per diem, travel assignments, anybody who's looking to stay employed here in the, Cal in the state of California, whether it be an RN, a licensed vocational nurse, or a certified nursing assistant, send them my way. You can send them over to carestaffingprofessionals.com. And uh, it's open Monday through Friday. We get a chance to speak to Doreen and Riley and some of our other staff that are uh, always working every day to, to keep uh, our nurses here in the state of California. And then also, as you may know, uh, January 21st is the day of observation for Martin Luther King's birthday. Many of you may not know this, but it is also a day that has been designated as the National Day of Service and where uh, individuals can go out and they can do things in their community, whether it be go out and create uh, uh, or go out and donate blankets to their local animal shelter so the animals are comfortable through the winter, here in California anyway, uh, or, or you, you can go out and help maybe at the local homeless shelter, 
uh, go out and feed some families, go out and help in your local community farm. Uh, the Lampkin Foundation is actually set, uh, we're still trying to decide on a date. It's either going to be the 18th or the 24th, right? We're doing several projects, actually. So on the 16th, we'll be working with, with Cerritos College on um, our bagging of hygiene kits. Uh, those hygiene kits will go to Mercy House, uh, which is one of uh, the organizations that we support in terms of helping the homeless. And uh, that would be on uh, the Wednesday prior to the 18th, so whatever day that is. It's on, on a Wednesday. We'll be at Cerritos College, and we've done that exclusively with Cerritos College. And then on the 24th, we'll be helping Mercy House uh, in the city of Ontario with their What happened? You losing? Where'd he go? Oh no. We lost it. Dead gummit. I don't know what happened. This is like this happened two shows in a row. <laughs> what the heck? We have a black screen. You gotta love when that happens, right? Um all right, I'm gonna make sure we put all the links. In the comments so you guys can check it out again thank you online radio audience thank you podcast audience and of course thank you pstv and facebook um you can catch this i'm gonna actually start a watch party so you guys can watch it if you missed it uh deandre was actually awesome there's like a really there's some really good things that he was talking about it was an interesting conversation uh we got to talk about race we got to talk about uh faith we got to talk about all kinds of things so it's actually a really interesting interview, so we're going to reset it on the watch party, facebook.com. Um, wait, is this in? He's got a black screen. Okay. All right. Listen, you guys, have a blessed day. Thank you so much for joining. God bless. I'll talk to you soon.